my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, I am back. I'm still uh, recovering from COVID, so I apologize if my voice is a little uh, ridiculous today. And and I apologize for missing the show on Monday. I I tried to rally, but it just was not happening. I was on the couch for a few days, so (laughs) I apologize for that. But uh, a great show for you today. I was joined by my friend Jim Garrity from National Review. Always a great time talking to Jim. Uh, and we uh, we covered a lot. We tried to catch up on everything I missed this week, um, from the, the Democrats' plans to scrap the filibuster and federalize elections, and and what their strategy is probably going to be once those efforts inevitably fail. Um, we talked about this bizarre uh, piece from Thomas Friedman at the New York Times about how Biden should Biden's running mate should be Liz Cheney in 2024. Just great stuff from uh, the corporate press, as always. Uh, we talked about the horrific uh, inflation numbers that came out this morning. We, we covered a lot. I think you guys will like it. Uh, guys, before I get to Jim, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Podcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Jim Garrity. All right, guys, we're here with my friend Jim Garrity. Jim, how have you been, man? I'm doing pretty good, uh, Brady. Are, are, you sound like you're on the mend. Are you doing well, too? I am. I uh, finally got some sleep last night. Um, feeling a little bit. I'm feeling like a million bucks, but, you know, after inflation and, let's say, California's taxes. So, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm feeling about, I'm feeling like 400 grand. How, how about that? There you go. Right, yeah. Anyway, with inflation, it's not as much. So that's, that's you know, no, no, nobody's feeling like a million bucks anymore. Exactly. So, yeah, I am just getting over COVID. Um, I missed the podcast on Monday. And because I only do two shows a week, I there's a ton to talk about. <laughs> I've missed a lot. Uh, I don't even know where to start. But um, last Wednesday on the show, we mocked the Democrats for their over-the-top, cringe-inducing January 6th propaganda, you know, worse than Pearl Harbor and the Holocaust and, and all that. Uh, all the all the stuff that makes us yell bingo uh, <laughs> when we see it on CNN. Uh, and... and I also predicted that once the the January sixth stuff falls flat, that they would get really desperate, you know, because they're they're cruising for a bruising this year electorally, obviously, and we've talked about that a lot. They don't really have much to run on, so I I was like, look, as soon as January sixth is over, they're going to lash out. I think they're going to dial up the attacks, the divisiveness, and look at that, Jim. I was right <laughs> once again. Um, they moved right on from January sixth to calling anybody who doesn't want to blow up the Senate and federalize elections. Uh, racists akin to Jefferson Davis, says the president. So embarrassing yet predictable stuff from Joe Biden once again yesterday. Yeah, even for folks who think they've kind of gotten used to Joe Biden being a demagogue and oversimplifying complicated issues and mischaracterizing his opponents and offer. By the way, apparently he was arrested at a civil rights rally. No, he never met, told that story before. <laughs> Grandpa says that was the time. That was you know when they wore an onion on their belt because that was the custom back in the right. day. Um, so, look, you, you are correct that we kind of knew they'd be leaning into this hard 
And I think a big reason for is that if you're the you know White House, you don't have a lot else that you can point to or talk to. Um, you know, we can now add Brady to the list of people who are <laughs> suffering from Omicron or COVID. Uh, the cases are exploding for, and, uh, under a president who pledged, I'm going to shut down the virus. Thankfully, Omicron isn't as bad as previous waves, and you know, you, but it's still super duper contagious. And as we're learning, everybody in the country getting sick at once, even with a mild case, still causes all kinds of headaches of not having enough people show up at schools, not having enough people show up at hospitals, stuff like that. Uh, as I wrote yesterday in the morning jolt, the supply chain crisis is still really bad. And they did a kind of the administration and Ron Klain kind of did a victory lap about this like a couple days before Christmas. And, you know, Jen Psaki said, oh, Joe Biden saved Christmas. And Joe uh, Biden himself had said the crisis many predicted failed to arrive. And then, of course, lots of folks went to stores this weekend in the past week and they've seen a whole bunch of empty shelves. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, this is uh, this is this is the sort of thing people notice and feel and you might say, oh, like I, I wrote about this and a whole bunch of people are like, you know, ah, first of all, if you write about this, you'll get people to say, well, I just went to Whole Foods and the stars, the shelves were stocked. So clearly this is a lie. Republicans are making up the, you know, you know the answer is, you know, the, the, talking about the supply chain crisis is not saying that every shelf and every store in every part of the country is empty. What we're saying is, is that all, but I did look into this because you can find a ton of coverage, ironically, on local TV affiliates, where it's all kinds of different stuff on different days. And a lot of times the stores will say, we don't really know when we're getting our next one. Generally at supermarkets, yeah, within a couple of days, if there's no chicken, there'll be a chicken in a couple of days. Um, apparently cat food has become really tough to find. Unsurprisingly, with everybody getting COVID, cold, you know, cold and flu medicine, the usual over-the-counter stuff, really tough to find. But you're also hearing stories of like auto you know, auto repair shops saying, yeah, I can't get you that part to fix your car for three or four months. Oh, yeah. Now, if your car is broken, that's going to screw up your life for a long while, right? Yeah, catalytic um, converters, catalytic converters for some models are going back, you know, six, eight months. Yeah. In, in back um, order, so, yeah. Home builders are saying, well, we built the house, but we can't get you a garage door <laughs> or we can't put on gutters for a couple of months. Like those are kind of a big deal, right? Until you don't have something like this, it's a really, you know, frustrating matter. Yeah. Um, so yet supply chain issues are still bad. We just had inflation numbers out today up uh, you know, 7%, really bad, worse since 1982, right? So all of these issues, there's nothing good. And if you want to say, oh, let's let's look abroad. Uh, well, you know, we're, we're really hoping Russia doesn't invade Ukraine. Afghanistan is the greatest humanitarian crisis in modern history. You know, there's nothing good for the administration to point to. So what do they say? Well, January 6th was the worst thing ever. And if we don't pass our version of voting legislation, First of all, Biden used the term, it's autocracy. And like <laughs> the president of the United States saying that voter ID in Georgia is akin to, like autocracy is like what Vladimir Putin is doing. Yes. Autocracy is what Jin Jin Ping, Xi Jinping is doing over in China or Kim Jong-un over in North Korea, right? You, know, what, you can oppose the voter ID laws in Georgia. You can say you think the voting reforms they enacted were a bit. Oh, fine, we can have that debate. But it's not freaking autocracy, right? And, you know, the moment you say, you know, it was a, ironically, I, I've, uh, you know, usually when I refer to the bulwark, I, I will make some, you know, snide comment about conserving conservatism or something like that. <laughs> but apparently they, they had like this really devastating opening, opening lines to a piece today where they said in January 2021, the president of the United States uh, made, said, you know, unhinged statements about elections and said that you couldn't trust the results. 
In 20, January 2022, the president of the United States made unhinged statements about elections and said you couldn't trust the results. And like for a publication that has been completely centered on the idea that Trump is this unique threat to democracy, to come out and say, yeah, Biden's kind of saying doing the same thing. Like that's, that, you know, that, that must have hurt them to write that. Um, but that's where we are, Brady. That's that's what you've been missing while you've been on the couch trying to get to sleep because of COVID. Oh, man, I'm so sorry to miss all that. Yeah, all yeah that you're, fun like, stuff. you're like, I'm going back to the couch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, that the Democrats, you, you knew they were going to pivot to something like this. But, you know, they they've always it's 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 bizarre because they've always wanted majoritarian rule. I mean, they've always believed that 50 plus one should be able to make, you know, 49.9 do whatever they want. Um, but they're they're advocating for minority rule now <laughs> I mean, with with ending the filibuster. You know, Biden did this speech about, you know, pa- federalize the elections, eliminate the filibuster to do it. You know, they're they're advocating for minority rule. There's only, I don't know, I mean, maybe 45 or 46 votes in the Senate to get rid of the filibuster. It's not just Manchin and Cinema. I mean, John Tester mm-hmm. isn't a fan. Mark Kelly down in Arizona, he's looking at re-election this year. He might, he's probably a no vote on that. Um, and it's never, I mean, you know this, Jim, because you've covered this for a long time. It's never just the vocal detractors. The vocal detractors in safe seats give cover, and the, on both sides, they give cover to the the people that maybe don't have the, the stomach to go on TV and talk about it. On the right, too. It's like a guy like mm-hmm. Mike Lee or Rand Paul. You know, they'll give cover to some of the more squishy Republicans with their no votes sometimes. Um, you know, and a lot of people take a, a bre- you know a deep breath after Rand Paul vote no. It's like, oh, okay, good, I have cover. You know, and that's just how politics works. Uh, but, I mean, they went from Republicans are a threat to democracy to end democracy <laughs> really quick. You know, they want to, you know, basically mm-hmm. get rid of the U.S. Senate. And they're advocating for their position. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that if a Democrat is in the White House, they should just get whatever they want. I mean, that's not majoritarianism. Even that's that's just like Soviet-style dictatorship. I mean, that's just that's yeah. essentially it's, it's a communist. angry toddler politics. Exactly. I want it different. And what's you know, if you want to see, you know, like to succinctly describe the crisis of our era, it is that an enormous number of people who are active in our politics, in elected office, in the media. In you know activist groups, um, you know and a whole bunch of ordinary citizens just kind of operate on this mentality of, well, if I want this particular policy to be enacted, then it should be enacted, and I'm not going to care about how. And that's actually much more toxic than it appears. Um, I mean, there was a point when you know I guess like 2017, 2018, Republicans control all three benches of government, but once again, it's a small majority in the Senate, and you know 40 Democrats could get together and say, yeah, we don't like that, we're blocking. We're going to filibuster it so you can't bring this to the Senate floor for a vote and you can't do it. And I was I was as annoyed as this as a whole bunch of other conservatives. And I, I did remember having conversations with other folks at NR. And um, I remember interviewing Ted Cruz about this, just kind of saying, oh, well, you know, it was, they, they got rid of the filibuster for the uh, judicial nominations. Later on, Republicans got rid of the filibuster for Supreme Court nominations. Is it time to say, OK, that's it. You know, we're going to get rid of it for all legislation. And I recognize, you know, we all kind of see the writing on the wall in 2018. Democrats had a good chance of winning back this, this, the House, and there's a good chance there's a chance they were going to win back the Senate. Mm-hmm. You know, were you would would eventually you'd pay a price. The question is, you know, and, and the other side would be able to pass things with 51 votes. The question is, you know, were you willing to make that trade? Uh, my, I remember Ted Cruz was saying back in, you know, sometime, I'm going to say the NRA convention in like 2018. He's like, look, you don't have right now. The Republican Senate caucus is split 50-50. About half of them say, yeah, let's get rid of the filibuster and get some stuff really done. And about half of them are like, no, nope, we're going to want this when we're in the minority. Let's keep it around. 
So there was never more than, you know, 25 or so, maybe 26, 27. There were not more than 30 Republican votes to get rid of the filibuster during the Trump years. Flip back to this, you know, fast forward to the, the, the Biden years. And Biden, not only did he give this, you know, impassioned speech about the importance of the filibuster back in 2005, earlier this year, he said, if you eliminate it, <laughs> nothing's going to get done in the Senate. Yeah. Sometime between then and now, he said, oh, never mind. You know, Emily Latella, you know, I, I reject everything I've ever said on this. We should get rid of the filibuster. Um, as you alluded to, we have, you know, the, like, the likes of Bernie Sanders saying two people should not be able to stop the will of 48. Does he, you know, almost literally revealing that in his, his mind, like Republican senators don't count. <laughs> they don't they don't exist. He doesn't see them. They do not matter for this. This is entirely a matter of, of you know, what do Democrats want? Um, and, you know, Joe Manchin has indicated as many ways as conceivably possible. No, I don't want to get rid of the filibuster. Chuck Schumer says he's got 48 votes and that uh, uh, Cinema and Manchin are the only two holdouts. There have been some comments from the likes of um, uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona and John Tester out in, in Montana. They sound they did not sound like big enthusiastic fans of getting rid of the filibuster. And I know it's, a, I know it's only a carve out only for voting rights legislation. But it's going to be like judicial nominations. Once you get rid of the filibuster for one bit of legislation, the other guy's going to say, hey, I really want to pass this. So let's get rid of the filibuster there. So and then you would have two chambers where you need, uh, you know, just a bare majority. And, and what's really weird is if you like if the Democrats were close to 60 votes, you know, they had 57, 58 or something. And they were frustrated that they had 57, 58 votes all the time and they just couldn't get that extra 60 votes. Okay, because you're probably not going to lose the Senate when you got a majority like that. They have a 50-50 Senate, and next year's going to look terrible. Yeah, <laughs> like they're they're basically saying we should get rid of the filibuster right before we end up in the minority for God knows how long. Yeah, it, it's so bizarre. It's 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 almost like you know the it's almost like the press, like corporate media, is dictating the direction of the Democratic Party right now. You know, like like you said, Joe Biden himself is is. You know, I know Amy Klobuchar was on record saying that she would never get rid of the filibuster, all that. You know, it's almost like it's what the media wants. It's what, like, the Twitter leftists want. And they're kind of steering the White House right now. It's fascinating. <laughs> you know, you, you think, uh, you know, we, we on the right, we, we we always assume that, you know, the, the press, you know, mainstream media is kind of just the propaganda wing of the Democratic Party. It's almost like they're the press it's almost backwards like the the media is dictating the direction of, of where the white house is going but this is my prediction for what's going to happen next because they're not going to be able to get rid of the filibuster right now at least i, I it, it looks like they're not going to be able to and so they're not gonna be able to pass this bill that federalizes all elections and and all of this and they're, they're not passing build back better anytime soon even mansion uh, I believe last week withdrew his compromise mm -hmm. proposal, which I think was like two trillion, two and a half trillion, something like that. And he even took that off the table. <laughs> so they might not get anything um, passed at all this year. Um, besides the usual spending, the continuing resolutions, all that. Um, they, I, I don't know if there's going to be a major piece of legislation passed this year at all. Um, obviously, the 50-50 split plus the fact that it's an election year puts them in a bind. Um, nobody cared about the January 6th stuff. You know, it's just not a big deal in the minds of 99% of Americans. Um, so I think the only card left to play is to poke the bear. And there is a giant orange bear <laughs> hibernating <laughs> in a very expensive cave somewhere down in South Florida. Um, 
And I think that's the only thing the Democrats have left. I think they're going to try to bait Trump into getting involved in the midterms and bait him into saying or doing something crazy. And I think that's kind of going to be their last Hail Mary. Um, you, you can't just get on TV and call Republicans Jefferson Davis. You can't just say January 6th over and over and over and pretend that people are going to care. I think their last card is Donald Trump, and they're going to try to bait the former president into doing something wild and, and hope that that helps their chances. Brady, that seems like a very plausible prediction there. And let's so in, in short, the Democratic position is that Donald Trump represents a unique threat to American democracy and must be stopped at all costs. Also, they want him to take a more active role in American politics in the year 2022. <laughs> yes. yes. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, a lot of this stems from like you know, our Constitution set up the legislative branch and the executive branch and the separation of powers and checks and balances, making it very tough to enact a sweeping change unless you've built a big, broad uh, coalition and, and you have a broad consensus. Welcome to American politics. And in the end, the heart of it, many people in America, but particularly progressives, think this is unfair. It's hard. Why do we have to change the Constitution to get rid of the Second Amendment? Why can't we just ban guns? We'll just call it <laughs> common sense gun legislation. And that makes it common sense. You know, you have to pardon my whiny voice. I've been dealing with a teenager. Um, <laughs> the... So the end result is you 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 know they they find these things that didn't bother them at all when they were in the uh, minority you know like the filibuster all of a sudden when they're in the majority they become it's a Jim Crow relic and you know they they just they go they get into this tantrum and the thing is that look you're not going to be able to do everything you want to do when the Senate is split fifty fifty that means any senator effectively has a veto that, that's really tough you know what you got to do you're gonna have to find a couple of Republicans to sign on board. And, you know, Democrats are like, how are we going to do that? Well, you know, there's Lisa Murkowski. There's Susan Collins. Uh, there are a bunch of Republicans. Rob Portman is not some, like, frothing at the mouth, you know, maniac. will never go on. And on the infrastructure bill, which I didn't love, but out of all the things Joe Biden wanted to do, you could kind of see that there was probably about, what, a dozen Republicans who were like, you know what? He's a new president. He won fair and square. Out of all the stuff he wants to do, this is what we oppose the least. There's some stuff in infrastructure we think are good stuff. Yeah, we like roads and bridges. We'll go along with that. And they got it passed. I think it probably counts legislatively as one of the biggest, you know, really kind of arguably the lone big legislative accomplishment of the Biden administration so far. That's what you got to do in these circumstances. If you want to make big sweeping change, you got to win a big sweeping majority. That's how FDR did it. That's how uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson did it. And I kind of wonder how much of this mess we're in. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I will contend to my dying day that Joe Biden won the, the 2020 Democratic presidential primary because he wasn't Bernie Sanders. If Americans had want, if Democrats had wanted Bernie Sanders, they could have nominated Bernie Sanders. They almost did it two cycles in a row. But a majority of them are like, you know what, we're going to lose. The socialism stuff is too far. We've got donors who are wealthy, who don't like all this kind of stuff. Let's go with somebody else. So they went with Hillary Clinton in 2016. They went with Joe Biden in 2020. And then to the John Meachams and... Uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin and all these other historians went to the White House, I think it was like February or March of 2020, I'm sorry, 2021, and they said to Biden, you can be the next Franklin Roosevelt. You can be the next <laughs> Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. And Joe Biden must have just gotten stars in his eyes and says, yes, I can do this. I'll be remembered in history. And it's not working because he doesn't have an FDR LBJ congressional majority. 
And they've just been operating in this stubborn denial of, oh, you know, if we if we chase Kirsten Cinema into the bathroom, maybe she'll change her mind. No, it's not going to work. If we if we get on canoes and protest outside the, the houseboat of Joe Manchin, maybe that'll change. No, he's not going to change his mind, right? Acknowledge the reality of the political divide that you have and govern around that. And it's just apparently I'm asking too much, Brady. I mean, Jim, maybe you're you're ignoring the possibility that if journalists just lobbied Joe Manchin harder, (laughs) if they asked him the same questions again and again for another year, maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe out of sheer boredom, he'll (laughs) change his mind. Yeah, I don't don't think it's going to work out that way, guys. So consumer prices rose 7% year over year, um, the highest increase since 1982. As we all know, the real number is much worse than that. Uh, a lot of the things, for instance, that Americans buy every day, like gas and food, are up well into the double, double digits. Um, Prime Minister Klain is at it again, just trying to tweet his way through it, which is just my favorite. I mean, every yeah. every month when the jobs report comes out, I'm like, oh, it's a Klain. Uh, is it a, you know, it's Jerry Dunleavy, right, who does Klain Watch on Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Make sure to highlight all the Klain tweets. By the way, I always go on a random tangent. So my random tangent today is because I had COVID or have COVID. I've been watching a lot of movies. I was watching Two Towers last night. Uh, in my opinion, the best of the Lord of the Ring movies. Love to hear your opinion on that. But Klain reminds me of Grima Wormtongue. Remember the evil uh. advisor to, to Theoden? <laughs> I was like, oh, man, that's that's Klain. I don't know if he wants to, like, bang Biden's niece or anything like that. I, I, don't, know, I, don't, know, I don't know if he goes that far. But, you know, he reminds me of uh, Wormtongue a little bit. And, you know, Biden, instead of being possessed by an evil wizard, he just has Alzheimer's. So, anyway, I, I digress. But, anyway, the, the inflation numbers are bad. Well, actually, yeah, I'm going I'm to jump on that digression. Absolutely. My thought is that the... It's been a while since I've watched them, but I remember uh, Brotherhood of the Ring being the only movie that was like part one of three or having some sort of, you know, something was a two part movie, you know, more than one part to this movie. And the ending was at just the right time. It didn't feel like, what what are you doing rolling credits here compared to like, say, Dune um, (laughs) was the other one that was like, 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 you know, does that mean that the Dune thing that just came out was a good movie? It just kind of ends, comes to a screeching halt. Um, Harry Potter, the last one they split into two, didn't do a good job of that either. But the Fellowship of the Ring is the first one where it comes to an end. You know the story is going to go on, but it just feels like a natural breathing point to, to continue. Um, two Towers, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember liking it a lot. But I think if you ask me the best, I think the big rousing final battle in... Return uh, of the King. Yeah, 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 I think that one is that you know that that just sheer emotional, and the the music is starring dun da da dun da da dun. You know that really you know so, so no, they're all done really really well, and like most people who really enjoyed them, I just pretend the Hobbit movies didn't happen. Yeah, no, that's fair. No, that's that's absolutely fair. I mean, they could have made Indiana Jones four, Godfather three, movie, movies that people say happened, but we've we've all gone through the neuralizer of Men in Black. We don't see we don't remember them, and we choose not to remember them. Yeah, the Hobbit movies. I mean, the all three of the the original Lord of the Rings movies. I mean, they're three and a half hours long because they packed a ton of content into one. Like they could have made each book into two movies, and then. The Hobbit, they should have made one movie, but they made it yeah. three. So that made, that made absolutely no sense. And they're no, throwing no in, was it the Cimmerillion and J.R.R. Tolkien's grocery list? Anything he wrote, they're just, <laughs> ah, let's put that scene in there too, you know. I will say another uh, a tragedy of having COVID is that I watched, um, oh man, what's the bad one? Meryl Streep and DiCaprio and oh, came out like two weeks up. ago. Oh, that was, that. I got up in the middle of that and cleaned my kitchen. I'm not even joking. I, I got up and cleaned the kitchen. It was, it was, 
it was so bad it w- it made me uncomfortable. It was like watching like a I described it as watching like a bad opening act at a show and like the singer can't you know it's tone deaf and the guitar player's guitar is out of tune, the drummer's too drunk to stay in time. Like it, it was like it was so bad it was unprofessional. Like I couldn't mm. even finish the movie. It was just oh my goodness. It was a lot of like if you're making a message movie you got to be re- like the, the lesson of this, because I've written now um, three books of fiction work for is almost done. I swear. Um, there we go. And in each one, like, you know, so I'm, you know, weed agency is all about people who work for the government. And I decided early on that one, the, the villain of the piece, the guy who kind of represents the federal bureaucracy in, in, in the flesh, I was going to make him the most charming and likable villain possible. That's the first thing. Right. So you know, I had to get into his mindset. And then, like, most of the other characters are federal government workers, and I could have made him stupid. I could have made him, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, jerky or obnoxious. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was trying to illustrate the problems of the federal bureaucracy as vividly as possible. But I picked th- you know, three of my characters are three young women who go into the government with the best of intentions and idealism and who want to make a difference in the world. And you like these characters and a bunch of people who are like for a for a book that's supposed to be trashing the federal bureaucracy, you really treat people who work for the federal government as human beings. And you actually seem to like them like, yeah, that was that was very much the point. Like I could, you know, and I feel like if you're going to write something, that has got to you really got to bend over backwards because otherwise it turns into like really boring agitprop. It's not only like not a fair argument. It's just not interesting. I'm trying, you know, and I, yeah, and this, I I didn't watch Don't Look Up. I'm not all that interested in it. I don't want, I don't really like, you know, heavy handed message movies in general, but the idea of making one that's, you know, uh, also kind of like, you know, Americans are so stupid. They would ignore a comet coming to earth. Like, you know, we've been through enough, you know, do, do I need a Hollywood movie saying, yo, boy, aren't people stupid? You know, like, like Idiocracy is a like scarily <laughs> prescient movie, but I still didn't necessarily enjoy it. And I kind of feel like a whole film that's kind of like sneering at like the rest of America from Hollywood is just not not what anybody needs to see. Yeah, I mean, the end of the movie is all the communist governments were doing the right thing, trying to stop the comet and America <sighs> destroyed the earth because of their capitalism. So um, that's uh, God, <laughs> I read a movie. <laughs> No, no, I read a book, uh, something before or something. It was just about us like um, there's this. There are four plane crashes on the same day, all around the same time. Each one has three of them have a child that survives, and it's kind of this weird miracle that sets off all kinds of like people trying to understand this religious significance of it. And in the end of it, America gets taken over by this like crazy uh, extreme Christianist, you know, Christianist movement and all that stuff. And Iran is the rational scientific one. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, okay, just, just call uh, your book. I hate Americans and get over with. Right. And I just, you know, get, get, yeah. So, yeah. And also, I mean, we've seen from the documentary Armageddon, what would happen in real life. I mean, you know, obviously capitalism would have sent Bruce Willis to, uh, to go blow up the, uh, right, I mean, if hostile aliens land tomorrow, nobody's going to say, what does the president of the European union think? <laughs> Man, don't look up. Didn't even. I mean, they didn't even have uh, Aerosmith write a song about it. So I mean, I don't know. What what could have been before? So Jim, I know we're running out of time. Um, but I, I want to just tee this one off for you and and back away. But we do have to discuss this because it's just it's just perfect. Thomas Friedman at the New York Times today, Jim. <laughs> I mean, he he has this this uh this column suggesting that Biden should pick Liz Cheney as his running mate in 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 2024. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. 
Yeah. So I, I you know, there, I could write about Thomas Friedman's column. I could write a response column to Thomas Friedman's column twice a week if they'd. Uh, I probably would get boring. There are only so many times you can say, "What the hell is wrong with him? He's unbelievably out of touch," et cetera, et cetera. But you know, because every one of them is like, you know. I was hiking Mount Kilimanjaro with the CEO of a tech company, and we decided that the world is both flat and curved and lumpy in certain places. So let me tell you what that means. You know, uh, but today, he, you know, first of all, he, he has this idea about the democracy is a threat. And like, like uh, you know, you and I might not necessarily agree entirely on, on a whole bunch of Trump stuff. I'm not, you know, the idea of Trump 2024 does not excite me. I think if he, you know, particularly if he remains, if he runs in 2024 on a, wasn't it terrible what happened to me in 2020? Wasn't it so clear that I won? Um, I think he'll probably lose. He'll probably yeah. lose pretty badly. I think. No, you know, I agree. Um, but, you know, I, I don't see him as American Hitler or anything like that. And I also feel like the more you build him up, the worse he gets. But Thomas Friedman floats the idea of, no, what we need is a unity ticket. And he looks at Israel. <laughs> Israel is a parliamentary system. You end up having unity governments because you have this multi-party system. And I don't think there's really a workable parallel to our system and our system of government. But like, I, so he floats like, you know, what if we had Biden, Liz Cheney, or what if we had uh, Kamala Harris as the presidential candidate of the Democrats and Mitt Romney as the the nominee, the vice presidential nominee of the Democrats. And I looked at that and I kind of chuckled and I said like, let, okay, Tom, let's, let's play it. Let's play this out. Let's see how this shakes out. So let's assume you save democracy, and it's a podcast. You can't hear that. See, I'm making air quotes as I as I say that. And you end up with Biden and Liz Cheney as a vice president. Now, Joe Biden's going to be 83 years old when he takes the oath of office in 2024 if he wins re-election. So God for it's God forbid I don't want it to happen. But look, you just look at the actuarial tables. It's likely that it's you know, there's a good chance an 83 year old man is going to keel over. Oh, by the way, we've got this we've still got this virus going around that's not good for old people, right? God forbid Joe Biden kills away and you end up with President Liz Cheney, the first woman president being a Republican, I note. Um, how would you know, how'd all the Democrats feel? I'd be thrilled. Uh, I don't expect lots of Democrats to feel that way. I might, yeah, I, there's a serious chance I would injure myself laughing if that came to pass, but that's not really that good. Or, you know, the other scenario of you know, President Kamala Harris and Vice President Mitt Romney. Um, would Romney give the response to the State of the Union? Everything Gosh. President Harris just said is factually incorrect, and I cannot, I cannot disagree any stronger or with any more passion, or any more. In fact, I'm sorry I lost my composure there. I'm, <laughs> I'm just in a rage. I'm, I am beside myself and spitting mad. However, I will not use a contraction. You know that that's how Mitt Romney would handle. You know, so I the, like. And, you know, there's only so many people who get to write a column for The New York Times. <laughs> and somehow Tom Friedman is the guy. At no point did Tom Friedman's editors say, hey, Tom, I think it's kind of a dumb idea. Go back to the drawing board. It's so funny, man. Anytime, uh, I mean, like, one, as a libertarian, I would definitely, well, the chances are high that I would hurt myself if that happened, but not from laughing, from crying. But yeah. um, it's so funny. Anytime somebody writes these tired co columns that come out every so often, you know, essentially arguing for a parliamentary system. You know what else they have in Israel? Presidential elections every 
30 seconds. Yes. <laughs> like Italy, yeah. Italy. Four in a row it, after a couple it, of, in a two-year span or something. Exactly. Like Italy's had like, I, I don't, do they have presidents or prime ministers in Italy? I can't remember. But they've had like nine of them in the last five years or something. They just, it keeps happening over and over. These coalitions break down. They, you know, it's just, it's not good, man. And I remember I was debating my uh, my cousin, Alan, who uh, works in politics in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And, you know, he and he's lived in Ireland for 30 years. And, um, you know, he prefers the parliament parliamentary system and I don't. I'm like, look, you know how in presidential elections every four years here, everybody hates each other. I'm like, I can't handle that level of divisiveness every six months. <laughs> like we can't have dude. The country has almost come apart at the seams the last couple presidential cycles. And like, imagine having to do that once a year. I mean, that sounds yeah, absolutely I, yeah, terrible. Parliamentary systems. I mean, I'm glad we don't have one. Uh, now, if you live in Britain or you live in one of these other countries, it does, and it works for you. Great, that's fine. You know, th- there are times I- I'm definitely one of those guys who looks at their Democratic Party and says, "Well, I don't. There's nothing for me there. I'm looking at that," and looks at the modern state of the Republican Party and says, nah, "I'm not thrilled with what you guys are doing. That's this is still. I, I don't feel like you're normal. I'm not upset about 2020. I don't, you know, think the election was stolen. I'm not worried about Venezuelan hackers, and my pillow's fine. So, um, <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I, I don't feel at home in either of these two parties. And if you have a parliamentary system, there's a lot of people, well, that's, we're going to form our third party and our fourth party and our fifth party. And if you like that, fine. But then you end up with like, oh, you know, six or seven parties ended up getting seats. And after the election, you have to like build them together like Legos, trying to get that majority. And you end up with these weird, you know, red, yellow, green coal- co- parties that have almost nothing in common have to form government. And it's like, okay, you get this many cabinet seats, you get that many cabinet seats. And I, I guess you could say that's more consensus focused. I think it's more of a hodgepodge. I think there's less clarity. Uh, I think there's a certain value in saying to Americans, you know, you can go more in a more rightward direction or a more leftward direction. What do you want to do? Um, and I think most of the time that works out well. I'll understand if people feel like these last couple cycles it hasn't worked that great for them. Right. It's funny. One, one more note on the the, the Thomas Friedman thing. Uh, it, there's this disconnect between the media and like the Democratic base. And you see it with people like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. You see it with the Lincoln Project. You see it with all these people, like the the corporate press. I mean, they they you know they view the GOP as you know as the Iranians would say the great Satan, right? You know, mm-hmm. they, they they view us as as truly evil, and then they view anybody who wants to tear the GOP down as as their allies. I don't, like the Democratic base, you know, like Democratic primary voters don't feel that way. You know what I mean? Like the Democrats are never going to love Adam Kinzinger. They're never going to love you know they called they called Dick Cheney, you know. Darth Vader for their entire lives. I mean, they're not going to embrace Darth Vader's daughter just because now she doesn't like Republicans. They still hate her. And it's like, I, I wish people like Liz, like Adam Kinzinger, would realize that. I, I wish they would, like, somebody needs to sit down with Kinzinger and be like, dude, look, it doesn't matter how much anti-Republican propaganda you spew on MSNBC, Illinois Democrats will never give you your district back, <laughs> okay? Like, there's there's no certainly point. not as a Republican. If he switched yeah. parties, maybe, but I think, like, if you wanted a good example of, like, uh, you know, there's a time Kirsten Gillibrand was pro-gun. There was a time she was, uh, had a couple conservative positions in line on immigration and, you know, voter ID and stuff like that in line with her House district. And then when she was appointed senator, lo and be- you know, it's amazing, Brady. She changed. It turns out she changed her mind on gay marriage at the exact moment she became a statewide candidate. Huh. Isn't that amazing? Imagine you know, so that. So there's kind of this, like, you and, and that's you know, 
that is a problem. Would I like to see greater ideological diversity in the Democratic Party? Sure. Would I like to see greater ideological diversity in the Republican Party? Eh, not so much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's not that much of a future if you are a Trump critical Republican. Uh, you know, other than certain districts, you know, probably easier if you're a governor than if you're running for Senate or House. Uh, you know, I wish that wasn't the case, but that is the case. So you gotta you gotta make your choice. Uh, maybe you can pull a Glenn Youngkin and kind of finesse it. And, you know, try to avoid the issue and all that kind of stuff. But I, it's really tough to keep your seat as an anti-Trump Republican. And as much as I may not like that, that I, is by and large that's will necessar- primary voters these days. Yeah, yeah I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, there's on the more libertarian side, that's certainly not true. You know, there's the guys that oppose Trump on, on you know, fiscal basis, on foreign policy, you know, on, on policy. You know, they, you know, like Rand Paul voted against uh, Trump, you know, basically just as much as Joe Manchin did. He voted against Trump way more than Mitt Romney did. You know, Thomas Massey, I mean, Trump tried to get Thomas Massey primaried and thrown out of the GOP. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. And he's going to win re-election by 30 points like he always does every two years. So it's like, I don't know. I'll I, grant I think... you that. I'd point out that there, well, we're talking about a handful of guys, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. How, how many of them are outside the state of Kentucky? That's that's fair. That's fair. But I just mean, <laughs> like, you know, so you're, you're correct. I mean, you, you, you can't. But it, it, it probably very district dependent and probably dependent on a whole bunch of if you're if you're a super strong, you know, everybody in your district loves you. Everybody in your state loves you. Nobody's going to give any grief. Then, yeah, I think you'd probably you'll you'll sail through. Um, but by and large, you know, like the, the you know, Republican Party is a Trump party. I think it's less so than it was. Um, a year ago, and I think it'll be less so a year from now, but I've been wrong before, so we'll see. um, My doomsday scenario, I think the only way we don't have a good year this year, Jim, and this is what I I do my year-in-review show, the last episode of every calendar year, Um, and and then I give my big, bold prediction for the year, and unfortunately, my prediction was that um, the only way Republicans don't have an absolute wave of a of an election this November is if the the Democrats try to pin Trump against a guy like Ron DeSantis, and I mean Trump is a just an egomaniac. I mean nobody loves Trump more than Trump, and you know I, I could see a scenario where you know the entire corporate press and the DNC adopt like the Lincoln Project type tactics and try to say oh see look everybody in the the GOP base loves Ron DeSantis. You know, he's, he's stealing your thunder, Trump. You know, you got to attack him. And they try to like, you know, cause him infighting within like the base of the party, that, that kind of thing. Like I could, yeah, honestly, I, and I could I, see I, that I, working. That, I could see that actually working in the Democrats favor. Unfortunately, I hope Trump doesn't take the bait. I, I think it could. And I, I think you are right to worry about that because apparently he just did an interview where he said that, you know, uh, whoever don't say that they're boosted, it's cowardly. They they are ner- you know kind of. It was really weird. <laughs> and the the only thing that would seem to trigger that is that Ron DeSantis did an interview, and for a strange reason, I think it was a very you know bad politics and and bad policy to say to not be willing to say whether you've gotten a booster or not. If you know DeSantis wanted to say, no, nah, you know what, I'm fully vaccinated. I don't think a, a, I'm not in a high risk category. I don't think I need to get boosted. I wouldn't necessarily agree with them, but okay, fine. That that's a reasonable position. I don't think you're crazy to do to do that, and you're being honest. If he was boosted, then yes, you should say you're boosted, and you shouldn't feel like you know, oh, people don't like boosters, and I'm not going to admit that I have one. You know, I think not saying one way or another, I genuinely is a not good position. But the fact that it's stuck in Trump, like Trump isn't Trump isn't saying everybody's bad. The subtext of that is Ron DeSantis is bad. 
because he might deny me something I want in 2024. Like that's, yeah. you know, what's going on there. So Trump does not sh- like to share the stage with anybody. And I think uh, he's very eager to see DeSantis get knocked down, uh, getting too big for his britches. Man, somebody, I mean, you know, I was, I almost made the foolish choice to say, ah, I hope there's somebody around the former president uh, that could, you know, talk him down off the edge and, and talk some sense into him. But I mean, it's been, it's been like six years, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Hey, man. Jared, Ivanka, <laughs> there's just nobody around who's who's likely to do that. So, I mean, so I don't... we saw how much all those texts from Hannity worked, huh? You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just going to do his own thing, man. He's going to do his own thing, and we'll see. I mean, there has been, I don't know how much you, and I know we're over time. I'll let you go in just a second. But, I, you know, do you believe some of these polls do show that, like, Trump's popularity within the GOP is declining and, and, you know, might be, he could even like run even with a Ron DeSantis or Mike Pence or somebody like that. I don't, it's so close to 2020 that I don't believe that. Obviously things could change, mm-hmm. um, especially, I mean, Trump's banned from the entire internet, so he can't really communicate with his base effectively. But um, I don't know, that could, his popularity could, could decline um, over the next couple of years. But like, you know, and I voted for Trump twice. I am not like an anti-Trump guy, but um, well, I've been, and I've gotten so much hate, Jim. It's ridiculous. My inbox is probably looking a lot like yours. But uh, uh, over the last couple months, because I've been trying to tell the audience and I get so much pushback, you know, and one example I I gave was, uh, um, because I, I, you know, I don't know how, if you've come around on Fauci yet, but I, I still believe he is one of the most dangerous sociopaths ever in American public life. I think he's a wicked human being. He should probably be in prison for perjuring himself before Congress. But, um, you know, Trump gave an interview, I think it was with Fox News. I can't remember with who, but uh, he was talking about how he didn't, you know, some the woman, I forget who it was, but the woman asked him, uh, you know, why didn't you fire Anthony Fauci? <laughs> he had like nine months <laughs> to fire the guy. Mm. It was clear that, that Fauci was just trying to defeat you. He was just trying to get Joe Biden elected. That was his role, and he played it well. Why didn't you fire the guy? And he was like, ah, you know, the Democrats would have been mad at me. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yeah, so the if, if there's any the guiding Dem- principle really? in Trump's life, it's don't make Democrats mad. I'm like, you're, <laughs> he's a shy, confrontation first guy. <laughs> it's not his style. And I and I said on the podcast, I'm like, guys, this is your tough guy. Like, this is your yeah. hero. I'm scared to make that. The Democrats impeached him twice for no reason. I mean, the Democrats would go on CNN every day and wish him dead. I mean, they were they, they were literally wishing for his death every day for five years, and he was afraid to fire Fauci because the Democrats would have been mad. I'm like, guys, th- he's not your tough guy. Like, he's not this strong man. Like, he's a kind of a coward. You know, he, he didn't. He doesn't. Of, yeah. Yeah. At, at the heart of Trump is that he likes whoever says nice things about him, and he hates whoever says not so nice things about him, or in his mind isn't giving him enough praise. 100%. That is the operating principle at everything that Trump does. So, behind closed doors, for all we know, maybe Fauci was was very you know friendly with Trump. Oh, that's a great idea, Mr. President. I'll bring, you know, I'll contemplate on that. I'll take that back to the scientists, see what they say. You know, like, right. Um, so, so the thing is, I the first thing is, I wonder if Trump, you know, like Trump, when you operate your life on that principle, you're going to end up making a lot of terrible personnel choices. Yeah. And I think the the Trump presidency showed it. I think the Trump campaign showed it. That's how you end up with somebody like Corey Lewandowski running things for a while. <laughs> yeah. That's how you end up having, you know. Omarosa, and, and lo and behold, they all end up leaving the White House on bad terms, and they all write these tell-all books and all that kind of stuff. You know. Who's the guy that was there for 10 days? Uh, oh, uh, Scaramucci. Scaramucci, you know. yeah. <laughs> you know, like this, you know, that that uh, there's no reason to think that a couple of years from now, Donald Trump is going to be calmer, 
laid back, easier going, wiser, tanned, rested, ready, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, if anything, I think he's going to be older and crankier and more erratic, which is, you know, I think he, you know, he, look, let's remind, let's remind ourselves, he barely won in 2016, right, against Hillary Clinton, who was, in retrospect, a really, really bad candidate. Uh, Joe Biden was not inspiring candidate, and he barely campaigned much at all, and he, you know, won by, you know, 81 million votes, right? I think they're pissed off a lot of people. I look at DeSantis and I'm like, okay, there's a guy who can have the right combination of like Trumpist pugnaciousness with, you know, actual conservative bona fides and sanity. And uh, that could probably be somebody who could really, particularly if it's, you know, a tired old Biden or Kamala Harris. Yeah, I, I really like Republican odds, particularly the state of the country is like the way it is today. Um, could you have a scenario where the Democrat then uses a Republican House and Senate that wins in 2022 as a scapegoat and, uh, you know, like a, kind of like Obama in 2012? Yeah, you could have that scenario. But, I, you know, DeSantis strikes me as a much, you know, more competitive candidate. The, the best odds to run a Glenn, Glenn Youngkin-esque, you know, we're going to get the Trump white working class populist base motivated and we're going to get the suburban soccer moms and, and all the, you know, suburban white collar folks who are fed up with the way Biden's been doing things. Like Republicans could have a huge victory in 2024. I just don't think they can do it with Trump at the top of the ticket. So. Yeah, I agree. I, I but totally yeah, my, agree. My email box will probably look like yours at the end of this. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I totally agree. And and honestly, and going back to 2016, I, I still believe, too, that I, I don't think any of the other Republican candidates would have beat Hillary Clinton. I thought Trump was the only I don't think Ted Cruz would have beat Clinton. I don't think John Kasich would have beaten Clinton. I, th I think Trump was kind of the guy for the moment in 2016, and I think it's literally the opposite now. I think he's the only he's the only man who could lose again to Joe Biden. I, th I think just about any other Republican would have beat him in 2020, and I think just about any Republican um, would would beat him or Harris or whoever they yeah. run out well, there in 2024. By the way, I also probably should put out there, like, considering how badly Biden is doing things on, like, real kitchen table issues, you know, oh, yeah. inflation, store shelves, Omicron, stuff like that, supply chain. I really feel you know, like, you know, as much as I'm, you know, people think I'm pooping on, on Trump all, on this whole podcast, you do the rematch today, I don't know if Trump loses. I think people, oh, no. might, I think people voted for Biden because they thought he was going to end the pandemic and he was going to be his force for stability and he was going to be the adult in the room. And things would go back to normal. And he hasn't done any of those things. Yeah, the entire country's so, yeah, yeah, the entire country's flat broke, sitting at home, sick from COVID. So I don't, yeah. you know. And like, like you said, you know, if Republicans do have a wave year this year in the midterms, they'll try to scapegoat the, you know, the major, the minority Congress, as you know, obstructionists and all that. But I mean. I don't, with the economic stuff, that's just a tough sell. I mean, it's a t I mean, once Ukraine transitions back to the Ukraine, it's going to be tough to blame that on Mitch McConnell. It's just not. It's. Yep. It, I, I mean, God forbid. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Somebody'll try. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll try. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. You're not. You're not blaming Kevin McCarthy for that one. I'm. It's just not going to fly. But uh, Jim, I, once again, as always, <laughs> we do this every few months. I keep you way over time every single time, and I appreciate you for that. Uh, where can everybody uh, read your column, check out your podcast, buy your book, follow you online, all that good stuff? Sure. Um, first of all, Brady, like when we talk, the time flies, so don't worry about it too much. Uh, yeah, I write for National Review. I write the Morning Jolt newsletter every weekday. I'm also contributing to The Corner. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Jim Garrity. For the first time this week, I wrote for the Daily Mail, the most read newspaper in the UK, kind of, you know, talking about how the Omicron wave is different and we can kind of calm down. You know, it's, it's still going to cause some problems, not going to lie, but, you know, it's not March 2020 anymore and we shouldn't act like it is. 
Um, you can, uh, in addition to this, I do a daily podcast with Greg Columbus of Radio America called The Three Martini Lunch. Um, and uh, you can find my books on Amazon and find remainder bins everywhere. Hopefully uh, telling the English to calm down is more effective than telling, say, like your wife to calm down. <laughs> better reaction everybody follow jim he's great that's all i got for today i'm brady leonard i'll be back on monday no gimmicks um.